2: GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacy Elliott.
0: I'm Andrew Hayward.
2: I'm
1: Kate Irwin.
0: And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is GM, GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM Stacy. GM Dan. As FTX continues to well, I was about to say meltdown, but I guess more like play out the uh, the post bankruptcy filing drama continues much to ask certain officials about so a great time to have SEC commissioner Hester Peirce on the program
2: yes and we have to say and i think she will say herself she can't comment directly on FTX yes, but
0: we've been told
2: you know of course this has kind of changed everything for the industry so you know we do want to ask her about what that's going to look like in DC specifically at the SEC
0: Yes. Uh, you know, we've been told she can't comment on the specifics, but can speak broadly. And we should say um, just five weeks ago, maybe, and the date is ironic because it was like days before FTX. But uh, Commissioner Peirce spoke to our colleague, Sandra Lutz, and I, I always appreciate her honesty. It seems to me she's the person at the SEC who's willing to criticize the SEC, which, of course, as journalists, we love. But she said uh, the SEC's current approach to crypto is, quote, not a good way of regulating. Spicy.
2: Yeah, I mean in on that she's kind of, you know, echoing what a lot of the industry has said, maybe not as loudly and as often that she doesn't like always seeing um, you know, regulation by enforcement. And she's been one of the few people at the SEC to say she doesn't agree with that happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are wondering especially based on SEC chair Gary Gensler's recent comments for over a year now. Is it just going to be that no one can launch a token? I mean, there's got to be a way to say that, you know, we believe tokenization is an interesting, useful way to build our business without getting slapped with a fine or being told, you you just did an unregistered securities offering. Um, it seems way too blanketed that every single digital token is a security.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, you and I have wound up talking to people over the past couple of months, really, at this point, about the Howey test and just <laughs> whether or not it still has a yeah. place in crypto. And, you know, you've correctly pointed out before, you know, we have a role. We have a way for determining what's a security. Yeah. And maybe we just have to work around the Howey test and figure out how to have it applied. I know, you know, Commissioner Perce has said herself that she doesn't really agree with it. She wishes it were applied differently. So we can dig back into that because that's still very much a timely topic here. Yeah.
0: Yep. Lots to talk about. It'll be interesting. We're also recording this at a time when uh, Sam himself is doing lots of interviews. But at this point, um, his answers are becoming, I think, less and less valuable and less interesting because you can, you know, you either believe him or don't. Um, I think this is in some ways a more valuable person to hear from uh, a person in a, a position of regulatory power. So let's bring her on. Okay, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce, GM, welcome.
1: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Stacey. It's great to be with you.
0: Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Uh, there's a lot to get into with recent news, and I know you can only say so much when it comes to FTX specifics, but let's actually start broad in terms of the reputational hit to this industry that the past month has caused. And of course, you know, for me and for Stacy and both of us have been covering crypto for years. This was obviously not the first instance of a collapse of a big player. I mean, we remember doing this in May with Terra, and yet this time, for any number of reasons, has been a much bigger, more mainstream story—the FTX bankruptcy—with um, you know every news site and every broadcast channel and regular folks who normally don't care about crypto asking about it. And I wanted to ask you. You know obviously you are someone who is in general I think a fair summation pro crypto you know you think crypto is is interesting and useful and do you find that when something like this happens especially the FTX collapse that it's hard to sort of defend supporting crypto I mean it's another time where people are saying oh see I don't trust this whole industry and and crypto is somehow bad
1: First, I should start out by saying that the views that I represent are, of course, my own views, not necessarily those of the SEC or my fellow commissioners. Um, You know, certainly this has been a a tough time for crypto. And I think for everyone, whether it's whether, you know, regulators or people involved in the crypto industry, people um, involved in writing about the crypto industry, I think everyone is kind of taking a step back and, and looking at again at. At what crypto is all about, and so I think it's it's when I talk to people, I, I remind people one that crypto is not about centralized entities, um, two that you know crypto is not about trading either. Although there's been a lot of emphasis on trading in the last several years, that is not the core of what crypto is. is. And if that is the core, it's it's probably not living up to its potential. Um, and three, it is still early days, so we um we do have more to see and while you know you describe me as being pro crypto I would say I'm more pro the ability of people to try things and experiment with things and uh, I, I I think there's been a lot of interesting experimentation in the crypto space and I, I expect there'll be a lot more in coming years uh, so there are a couple ways to go forward um and I think one is is to to look at this as a a moment where people can really refocus, um, and the other is is a more negative approach. Um, but I think if if we as regulators take this also as an opportunity for introspection to say, what could we do better um, in, in the future than we've done in the past? Um, that's what I'd like this moment to be.
0: That makes sense. And then as a sort of second part of that question to get more specific. What might the immediate or short-term impact be from FTX? Because every time something like this happens, you do hear more calls for regulation. Um, in many cases, it's the same voices that have always been calling for regulation, but they say, see, see, and they point to this latest meltdown. Um, but you know, I, uh, the wheels of regulation move very slowly, and I, I have my doubts as to what might happen in terms of weeks. It seems like it might be more like months. But do you really think that this has galvanized regulators more than any recent past crypto news event?
1: You're right that the wheels of regulation and legislation move very slowly, and and I think that that can be both good and bad. You know, I think that the good part of it is that you don't want to create regulation just in reaction to past problems. We saw it uh, after the financial crisis of financial of two thousand eight to two thousand ten. We had a big legislative push, and actually, the legislative push happened before there had really been an analysis done of what the problems were that led that led to the crisis. And so you ended up with regulation that I fear in many ways doubled down on some of the policies that had gotten us there in the first place. And so allowing people time to kind of figure out where are the problems is always good. You don't wanna have knee-jerk re- regulation or knee-jerk legislation. Um, but at the same time, You know, I think in the crypto world, we've seen for a long time that there's been a a lack of clarity, which I think has has led people to do things that they wouldn't have done had there been clearer guidelines. Now, with respect to the particular issue around regulation of trading platforms in crypto trading platforms, which is what a lot of people are talking about these days, I mean, that's something that I think we have been hearing about, as you said, for a long time, that people have said, wait, shouldn't there be some sort of federal regulator for crypto trading spot trading platforms? Some people thought it should be the CFTC. Some people thought there should be a self regulator. Some people thought it should be the SEC. Um, you know, I, I think that that was a very likely outcome regardless. Um, and I think it's it's in Washington, slightly more likely to happen in uh, in light of recent events. But again, I think it was it was kind of on track going in that direction anyway.
2: We've been hearing um, from, you know, yourself included, that people want regulatory clarity for crypto for years now. It, it's been a long time. It's just kind of become the catchphrase if you talk about policy and crypto at all. Um, so, you know, regulators want it. The industry wants it. But there's still this tension because we still don't really have much. We've seen some enforcement, but not real, you know, regulatory framework. So, you know, and we talked about how slow things move. So is this just how long it takes to get to the point where we have some regulation? Or is this, you think, a sign of just how difficult it's going to be to try to regulate the crypto industry?
1: I think this process has been a dysfunctional process. um, And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I think there's been... Um, a little bit of a jurisdictional, you know, grab for, well, grab for power, right? Different regulators wanting to regulate the space. And so having sort of um, a a desire to pull more into their space. And so that's made things more difficult. You know, also, I don't think that we've seen something quite like crypto before. I, I do agree with people who say, look, our securities laws are made so that they don't need to be adjusted every time something new comes along. Congress specifically wrote the securities laws so that they would stand the test of time. The problem that we have now, though, is that with sales of crypto assets, you can can say, well, look, a lot of these initial sales sure look like securities offerings. But then the question is, is that token, is the crypto asset itself a security? And I think that's a much harder question to to answer. And I think it's one that people answer differently. Um, But you've seen, for example, a lot of the, the chair of my agency, Chair Gensler, has said, well, I think all of those things look, or almost all of them look like securities. And there may be a reason for kind of taking that kind of position, because then Anything that touches those crypto assets would also fall within our jurisdiction. So someone needs to come in and make that determination. Do we create some kind of new category for these crypto assets? Do we shunt them all over to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission? Do we leave them at the SEC? And so I think because we we really haven't grappled with that issue, there's just lack of clarity Um around that and and forcing regulators to admit there's a lack of clarity can be difficult um, and, and figuring out a way to get to clarity in a way that makes sense, that achieves the legitimate objectives that I think a lot of regulators are pointing to, right? We all want investors and consumers to be protected. Um, we, we do want to make sure that there aren't fraudsters running around holding up the sign a crypto sign and grabbing people's money and running away. So there there are legitimate objectives to be achieved. We have to decide how to achieve those um but we need to do it in a way that's that's as I said less dysfunctional than we've been doing so far.
2: I do want to ask a follow up cuz we have seen I think it's now just been the past year two instances where there have been complaints of insider trading leveled against people who were at crypto companies. One, I believe, was Coinbase. The other was OpenSea. And some of the arguments that have been made counter or basically saying that those complaints shouldn't exist is that the SEC has yet to prove that the assets that those people were trading with material non-public information are not securities or at least haven't been proven to be just yet. So I'm curious to know if you have some thoughts on that. On you know whether perhaps those complaints should have gone forward when they did, or you know, do we need more things in place before the SEC can make a credible complaint that there was some insider trading at a crypto company?
1: Well, I don't want to speak about any ongoing um, ongoing cases, but I think what you highlight is kind of one of the the issues that arises. A lot turns on whether something is a security, and so that's why we have to yet we have to get clarity around around that question and I, and that does raise another point which is that i think we see that when things are going well people say to the sec we don't want you involved and then when things go badly people turn to the sec and say why weren't you involved and so there also needs to be a, a sort of a reckoning among people involved in crypto about what it is they want to see and and I think we as as American people should be discussing what kind of regulatory framework you want and and honestly discussing what the what the costs and benefits of each approach are and if you decide that you want to operate in an unregulated environment that means that when something goes wrong you don't have a regulator to come in and deal with the problem now there are other ways to deal with problems. Regulation, government regulation is not the only solution to problems that you see. I mean, we can we can uh, react to, to recent problems and say, look, people can ask it, it, an exchange, a crypto exchange to demonstrate that it has the assets that it says it has, that it's not, um, you know, that it's 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 not doing something that it, it it said it wouldn't be doing. Those kinds of questions are ones that that people can work out on their own without the government involvement, or people can do it with government involvement. But, you know, you have to make a choice.
2: I want to try to ask this in a way that's not um, kind of putting you in a position where I'm asking you to comment directly on an enforcement action. But, you know, one of them listed out nine different assets that the SEC believes are securities. And I'm wondering if either, you know, because of that or other things the SEC has said or complaints have been filed, like, have you started to see more companies voluntarily register with the SEC because it's been implied that they're unreg- unregistered securities?
1: Well, I mean, this is another one of the issues that I, 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 I've been frustrated that my regulatory colleagues have not wanted to address. There is no easy way if you decide something is a security, a crypto asset is a security to register it uh, with with us. So this is a new area and we do have to actually do some thinking about what that would look like. And we've, we've pushed off that thinking all the time by saying, well, I mean, come on, these are just securities, so deal with it and figure out how to do it. But we haven't sat down with people and said, "All right, let's address the areas where there're going to be difficulties." If you want to build a crypto network using a crypto asset as the coin of the realm, having the securities law laws apply at every at, at every time the, the 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 token moves is going to be very problematic. Um, at the same time, you know that there is a real need for information around who's. Behind this this project, uh, you know, what are are they going to dump a bunch of tokens? Um, are they planning to actually develop the network, or are they just, you know, telling you that that they will, so that you give them their money? So they give them your money. There's there are a lot of you know questions there uh, that I think people would like to get information about, and the securities laws are one way to do that potentially, but we have to really sit down and show people that you can come in and register with us, it can work, and it can, you can still move forward with doing what you're trying to do. Because the answer can't be, well, if it doesn't work under the securities laws, then forget it, you can't do it. That doesn't make sense either. So I, this is what I mean about us not really take, having, having a, a serious conversation about how, okay, if these are securities, what is this then gonna look like?
0: Yeah, uh, Commissioner Peirce, I really appreciate your candor with sort of um, critiquing the SEC's shortfalls and the things it hasn't done fully. I mean, some people in crypto have often pointed out um, there have been certain tweets or comments from Gary Gensler, for example, that say, well, just come talk to us, approach us, open door policy. And they say, how? Or they say it isn't really clear how to approach. Um, do you feel a little bit like sometimes you're the uh, the voice of defending crypto within the agency. And I guess I'm also asking, you know, a quick 101 for our listeners. Like, it can sometimes be confusing to people, but when it comes to sports leagues, you know, there's one commissioner and the commissioner is in charge of the sports league. When it comes to agencies like the SEC and the CFTC, there are multiple commissioners. I hope people understand that. And that's different from the chair. You know, Gary Gensler is the chair of the SEC, but then there are multiple SEC commissioners like you. So I'm also asking a little bit about how much communication there is between the commissioners and between you and Chair Gensler.
1: Well, Dan, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is, it, it's is—it's a strange feature of the SEC. There, there are a few other agencies like us that are run by a commission instead of by a single person uh, who's, who, who's appointed by the president. So in this case, we're a politically balanced commission. Um, and, and so there, there are five of us. The president obviously picks the chair, so the, the chair will be of the president's um, party. Um, and we make decisions collectively. So when there's an enforcement action, we vote on the enforcement action. Um, and the majority rules on, on that. When there's a rule, we vote on that, the, the majority rules, but the chair is the one who actually sets the agenda. So I, for example, suggested quite a long time ago that we needed to have some sort of a safe harbor for tokens and, uh, you know, that's all well and good, but I can't myself put it on the agenda for us to vote on. So until Chair Gensler decides that that's something he wants to consider, it's not It's not going on the agenda. So, you know, obviously, the, the chair has an outsized influence. Also, because all of the staff, except for the staff in my immediate office, report directly to Chair Gensler. And so he has an outsized influence there as well. But we do certainly work together. Now, there's, there's a rule called the Sunshine Act. It's a law. And it says you can't have five commissioners, well, you can't have more than, uh, you can't have three commissioners in a room together discussing issues unless it's either a closed meeting, which is when you discuss enforcement actions, um, or a public meeting that everyone can watch. So we can't, the five of us, just sit down and have a chat about crypto uh, we can do that one-on-one. And certainly those conversations happen, as you can imagine. I feel pretty strongly about um, about a lot of the issues in this space. I feel very strongly about a lot of issues in securities law in general. So um, we have lots of conversations about lots of things. But I've said repeatedly, I'm on an island by myself on a lot of these issues. I, I think about these issues um, differently. And I think you know, it, it's 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 been for me because I've been at the SEC since 2018 to see no real movement, positive movement in that time is frustrating. Now, of course, you know I I think my colleagues have been trying very hard to um, go after some of the the fraud that we've seen, and it, there have been enforcement actions that I think have been really in, important in this space. Um, and it, and and I think there's been a lot of effort at getting more knowledge around crypto. And we have a lot of people here at the agency now who know quite a bit. So that's really positive. Um, But I think another piece that we as regulators tend not to understand is that, you know, you can have a process whereby people come in and talk to you. um, But if someone is getting funding to, you know, build a project and your process takes two years, three years, four years. Like at some point, the person funding your project is going to say, you know what, could you just go build that somewhere else? Because it's not working in the U.S. So we've got to be a bit more pragmatic about that too.
0: Yeah. And we have seen companies just say, we're going to leave the U.S. um, Nexo just recently. But we've also seen a couple, only a couple, but projects um, wait and uh, do their token offering as a regulated offering? You know, um, blocks, uh, stacks did that. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about the Howey tests. You know, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Chair Gensler has basically said. I mean, it's not a secret. He's he's kind of made clear that he believes everything but Bitcoin looks like a, a security, um, and that litmus test has has long been the Howey test, and and. Just to play devil's advocate, I mean, as Stacey correctly said, the phrase uh, regulatory clarity keeps coming up. It's people's favorite thing in crypto to say. They say there's no regulatory clarity. And I've actually heard it said by a couple of of people recently that, well, arguably there is regulatory clarity. The crypto industry just doesn't like it. And the clarity is the SEC is continuing to use the Howey test. And people can rail against it and they can say, well, it's from the 1940s. It's so outdated. But if you read up on it, kind of makes some sense. And it's like, well, if it's something created by someone else and it's, you know, marketed with the expectation that the price will go up and that you'll profit and it's that you'll profit from the work of someone else, it's a security. Uh, What do you think about that? You know, some people are like, there's no clarity. Well, maybe there is clarity and and maybe it's not going to change and they're not going to say we need a newer, more modern test.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's again. This goes back to the point that the securities laws were written broadly, right? If we just wrote things and said it only covers stocks and bonds and notes, then people would be, you know, inclined to come up with some different term and say, well, it doesn't fit within the precise language of the statute, so I guess we're fine. And so this idea that you have uh, something called an investment contract, which which is what the subject of the Howey. Supreme Court case was, and 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 the Howey test was based on on this to say, if I sell you something, and I promise, if I sell you an orange grove, a piece of an orange grove, and I promise to do all the work to maintain it, all you have to do is give me your money, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make sure that this yields profit, and you're gonna get the profits. Then that does look like a securities offering, but the 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 objection that I have is that the approach that we've taken with respect to crypto, I would argue is different from what we've done before with the Howey test. Now, I have some concerns about how broadly the Howey test has been been read outside of crypto, but even just taking it at face value, the problem is that we, with respect to crypto, we've said, you know what, that orange grove is going to be treated as a security in perpetuity, I guess, forever, right? I don't know when it stops being a security. And that doesn't make sense because just because I sold you the orange grove as part of an investment contract doesn't turn the orange grove into a security. It means that the orange grove plus the promises I made to you about what I, how I was going to tend the orange grove and generate profits for you that was the securities offering. And so I would like for us to be a bit more precise. And if we if we were more precise, I think that there would be fewer objections to applying the Howey test and saying, hey, that initial time when you sold it, that might well have been a securities offering. But that doesn't mean that the, the token continues to be a security for the rest of its life. Um, that's... You know that that's kind of where I have have uh, been concerned about how we've applied the the Howey test, and I think you know if you if you really applied the Howey test the way we do in crypto to other assets, there'd be a whole lot of other assets that would be pulled in. You know, I use the example often of fancy watches, right? If you sell um, someone a watch and you say, you know, this is Buy this watch, put it away in a special place, and I'll build a brand around it. And then you can give it to your to your daughter, and it's going to be worth even more when she has it. You know, again, we can find all kinds of and and maybe you know, depending on the facts and circumstances, that could be a securities offering, right? But we've tended to apply a different standard in the crypto space than we have elsewhere. So I I I'm also arguing for a little bit more uniformity in the way we approach these issues and think about these issues.
2: So I just want to I want to ask a clarifying question, and make sure I understand kind of the, the way you're talking about the Howie test there. So potentially an initial coin offering, it's pretty clear cut that would likely be you're selling a security
1: well I don't know I mean facts and circumstances right yes we've always got to throw that in facts and circumstances matter a tremendous amount
2: yeah But but that might leave room that further down the line you could then exchange transact with whatever that thing was that you received and it would not then be a security potentially facts and circumstances that, of that course
1: subsequent transaction oh. depending on facts and circumstances might not be a securities transaction
2: okay and of course is not binding not you are not that. setting regulation right now on our podcast <laughs> so, but I just I just want to make I, sure I, I understand no,
1: absolutely not and I think it's really important to underscore that as I said I'm on an island by myself I view these things very differently than some of my colleagues have viewed them and so I urge people always urge people, the secu- The reach of the securities laws is very broad. If you have any doubt, even if you don't have any doubt, it's good to think about calling a lawyer, right, before you uh, before you do something, because it's, you know, you can get into a lot of trouble, and it's better to figure out on the front end what you're doing than to figure that out later in the process.
0: Well, and one more quick clarifying question there that I think a number of... Companies in Web3, including our own, by the way, are wondering about looking at grappling with. Do you think that community involvement, when it's more of a two way street and there's a back and forth, actually can play a role in mitigating that? In other words, some things, some tokens, you know, sorry, sorry, everyone, look very clearly to me like a security based on the Howie test definition, because if you were to buy the token, you're just buying the token of that ecosystem or company, and it hypothetically would only go up if that ecosystem or company is successful. There's no back and forth. Whereas I think increasingly lately, some crypto projects are trying to say, well, this token is more of a community engagement token, and you earn the token for participating in our ecosystem. Do you believe that that would actually, you know, alleviate some of those prongs?
1: Well, again, facts and circumstances matter. And I think it's important to underscore that there's been a lot of emphasis on the Howey test in the crypto world because, again, a lot of these things were sold as tokens plus a promise that we're going to build a network. And so people are thinking of the Howey test. But we've also seen instances um, where there have been other pieces of the definition of security that have pulled crypto projects in. So if you have promises of uh, you know, if you you have a, a note, something like a note, you could end up in in trouble, or I mean, in trouble meaning pulled into the securities laws. And if you have governance rights, there's there are also some considerations that you need to to make around that. So if if the token carries with it a right to revenue or a right to uh, to to govern, you know, again. I'm not making any pronouncements here, but I, I, I think it's very important for people not just to look at the Howie test and say, well, if I am fine under the Howie test, then I should be fine elsewhere. No, you, the securities laws are broad and you've got to think beyond just Howie to understand whether your token is pulled in. And again, this is another area where I think we've fallen down on the job because, yes, it is not historically we've not gone out and said, here, we think these five things are securities and we think these five things aren't, but we have been willing to provide guidance when we see something going on in the market that we think it, it would be worth pointing out to people. And so why not sit down and take a look at something like NFTs and say, okay, well, we're looking at this or, or take a look at something like a DAO and say, okay, we're looking at this and we're seeing these things. Um, and this is these are some things questions people should be asking. Uh, so I, I think we could be helpful, but people also need to not, people need to be asking questions about their own projects as well.
2: I do want to kind of, uh, so I appreciate um, all the discussion on the Howie test because it just, it gets talked about in our industry so much. Um, but I want to switch to talking about BlockFi, but specifically the settlement from earlier this year, because this is something that you did put out a statement on. And you said at the time that it was difficult to understand how the civil penalty was going to protect investors. And you know, for anyone who's not up to date on what's been going on with BlockFi, the company went on to accept a bailout deal from FTX because it was really struggling at the time. It then went on to register and relaunch a yield product. Um, and then last week it filed for bankruptcy. So it this is going to sound like a little bit of a grim question, but I'm just wondering if you feel a bit validated by how how all that played out, because, you know, at the time, it seemed like, okay, the SEC has taken some action. It's going after BlockFi, but it doesn't seem like that really, you know, protected all the investors who are now kind of waiting to see if they're going to get their money back.
1: No, I don't feel validated. I, I you know, I, I've never... Uh, never happy to see people getting hurt. Um, but what i what I do think that again, this underscores is that and and one of the reasons that I was concerned about the block five settlement is that we cannot do regulation through one-off settlements. And I think there is a tendency to want to do that because, The leverage is very different in in an enforcement settlement negotiation than it is if someone comes in and tries to register. And it's also different than it would be if we were having a broad-based discussion with all of the players in the market trying to design a regulatory regime that works well for the people who are going to be using that product or service and the people who are going to be offering those products and services and make sure that it achieves our objectives. And so this tendency of doing things in backroom negotiations, I think, is one that we have to be very careful about in the crypto world specifically, because if you bake in one model that works, one regulatory model that works very well for one or a few entities now, you're going to cut off so much innovation in the future. You're going to prevent new entrants from coming in, and that is an issue that has been a perpetual issue in the traditional financial world because we have such a regulatory culture that if you're a big entity you can hire thousands of lawyers thousands of compliance officers to deal with a regulatory burden you can hire people to figure out how to you know argue for rules that will will work well for your entity and not for anyone else and We've got to push back against that in the traditional financial world. We also have to push back against that in the crypto world. And so, um, I, you know, I hope whatever we do, we bear in mind that there, this is not about writing a regulatory framework that works well for one player or that is crafted in the back room without having real public discussion about what it is we're trying to achieve and how what the best way is to achieve it.
2: So that's that's hindsight kind of on BlockFi. But I'm wondering going forward, if the SEC does see what it believes to be a bad actor in the space, particularly in crypto, you know, how differently could it handle something like that? You know, this with BlockFi, that was SEC seeing someone who it thought it was a bad actor engaged with them and it wound up in a civil penalty that proved to be not effective. So, you know, if we have another BlockFi or some other actor in the space You know, what can the SEC do differently? What kind of tools does it have at its disposal?
1: Well, I mean, we do have enforcement, and that's a tool that we can use. But I think that, you know, part of what we need to do is try to establish rules early and try to establish, as I said, when we see something going on, try to establish guidance early so that we're at least letting people know ahead of time that we see something that we think is potentially problematic. You know, there's time. I wouldn't characterize every enforcement action as being regulation by enforcement, but there are better, more effective ways. I mean, you see how, how long some of these enforcement actions take. You can actually have more bang for the buck by doing regulation through other methods. Yes. Dan mentioned that regulation seems to take an awfully long time, but you can actually have a much more sweeping impact uh, sweeping effect with with a good regulation that then you can you can go and you can go after the bad actors in the space, uh, the ones who ignore the regulation so I mean it's not easy, and there are always going to be judgment calls about when something is better dealt with through enforcement and when not, but I think we should all be on the lookout for regulatory frameworks that are developed in the context of an enforcement action, because that is, it's a very tempting thing for regulators to do that, and it's just, it, it cuts everybody else out of the process.
2: Do you think it's more likely we'll see some regulation now?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of interest. You know, as I said, I've been here since 2018, and when I first got into this job, there were very few people in the in the regulatory and legislative spheres, who are that who are, who are interested in crypto? Over time, the interest and the knowledge has really grown, and I think now you're seeing um, a lot of people saying, "Wait, we need to we need to really be thinking now about this." And so I think it's more likely that you'll see uh, that you'll see legislation and perhaps regulation uh, coming sometime soon. But you know, there are a lot of other issues in Washington, so. Far be it for me to predict, I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not the best one to predict uh, those kinds of
0: things. Well, and, and something I always say to people is even the word regulation is this boogeyman for everyone in crypto. But I think people make the mistake of equating regulation with um, shutting down, shuttering, you know, like, oh, they're going to regulate crypto out of existence. I mean, it's possible to, to add regulation and that just means adding safeguards and rules of the road. And that's not the same as saying, let's shut it all down. Uh, which they can't yeah, really I mean, do to Bitcoin anyway, at least in Bitcoin's case, and probably not yeah, Ethereum. But
1: yeah, you you know, I think I think that that's a fair point. But I think we also need to um, you know, good regulation designed well. That's why I say I like to have it done in a in a process that's public and open, that everyone can participate. I think it's important to remember that the regulatory apparatus government agencies are supposed to work for the american people so we need to come together and figure out what the right approach is to regulate this what level of regulation we want are there some areas that we think perhaps don't need a federal regulatory framework Um, you know when you when you talk about real DeFi, and again there there's lots of stuff masquerading as DeFi, but when you talk about people interacting with other people through the 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 intermediation of code, then the question is, do you do you want to carve out a space where people are able to do that without having a regulatory overlay? And, you know, I think that we have to be careful in whatever approach we take to regulation not to prevent people from engaging in mutually beneficial transactions, um, where there's, there's no real interest in having a, a regulatory framework. So that's kind of what I'm, and I actually really welcome people to come in and, I hate to use this phrase, to come in and talk to me about that and help me think through um, how to approach that, because I have real concerns, you know, around financial privacy. I think um, we tend in this country to undervalue financial privacy, um, but it's, it's really important, and it's important that we build in those protections now because it's becoming easier and easier um, for for government to uh, watch everything that we do, and in, in many spheres of our lives, our lives, and that's true in the financial world as well. So, protecting privacy, um, and then protecting some of these fundamental issues around um, the ability to to develop code without um, Without that getting you, you know, there, there's a First Amendment concern around around code, and so I'd love to have people come in and help me think through some of these issues, which I, which I think are quite difficult issues, but quite important to be thinking about now, early before we get too far down this road.
0: Yeah, your door sounds a little bit more open to me than uh, Gary Gensler's, but that's just me saying that, not you. Um, one one last thing I want to make sure I ask you about: we, even though Stacy alluded to OpenC. One thing we haven't touched on, mentioned is NFTs. And I'm curious whether you think that the regulatory approach will be or should be different toward NFTs than they are toward cryptocurrencies. Now, of course, as I'm always, you know, educating, um, you know, newbies, they're all tokens. I mean, we're all there. These are all blockchain based tokens here, but it's about how they're used. And, um, you you know, I, I remember years ago, you were talking about trying to establish a rule that And as you alluded to earlier, that's why something could maybe be seen as a security at first, but then eventually no longer be. Um, You talked about if if the network has matured enough. I think it was like if if the network matures within three years, then something that looked like a security might no longer be. And it just occurred to me to wonder, well, maybe NFTs could be a, a sort of solution to that if a company says buy our NFT to engage with us rather than buy our token.
1: Well, I'm going to give you the lawyer's answer of it depends. And I think it's really important that people in the NFT space, again, be careful because simply labeling something in, as an NFT doesn't give you a pass from the securities laws. You have to think about, you know, what are the characteristics of those NFTs? Uh, I, I, I think that there are different questions that arise around NFTs, but there are also some of the same questions that arise around NFTs. So, I, I people just need to be careful that simply changing the label for something may not get you out of the securities laws. You you really have to ask those questions, and that's why I want us again to look at some of the the NFTs that are out there and some of the characteristics, and maybe provide people some guidelines around how they can the questions they can be asking when they're trying to figure out, wait, does this maybe implicate the securities laws or not?
2: So I wanted to quickly jump back to some of what you were saying about DeFi and, you know, kind of drawing a line between DeFi and real DeFi or something that looks like DeFi and real DeFi. Um, You know, where where do you put that line? Because I, I know from having talked to players in the DeFi community that they're very concerned that, they're just generally misunderstood by regulators and people in D.C. So I, I'm just curious to know, you know, what's your view on it?
1: Well, I think part of the reason they're misunderstood is a lot of it is fairly complicated. Right. So I try to learn as much as I can. But this is why I really need people to come and talk to me about this to help help me understand um, where it makes sense to have minds. You know, I think that the hope of the crypto world has been to disintermediate. But the reality is that a lot of people will want to deal with an intermediary. And so this isn't surprising, I think, to a lot of people in this space. They always expected that there would be a lot of stuff operating in the background that would be DeFi, but that there would be front ends and there would be uh, there would be ways for people to interact with that. But so I bring up, for example, the front-end issue. If you really have just a front end, which is a way for people to Get to the DeFi, um, but the front end doesn't add anything extra. Then, you know, how should something like that be regulated? I think we need to be very careful about how we approach that, um, and and not just assume while well, a front end is just a central intermediary. That I, I think we we have to really try to grapple with that issue. So I think that's one of the one of the areas. But then I think on the a lot of these decentralized projects have aspects that do look like there are a few people who could take the treasury or, you know, change the way the whole, the whole network operates. And if that's the case, then I think people rightly are going to say, well, we, we need to have some protections there. Um, And so again, how do we, the whole beauty of, of, code is that the open source code is that people can see it and people know what will happen, right? It's, it's not a mystery what will happen, but if there's some mystery built in there that, that is, you know, hidden, then that's something that we have to grapple with too. So you can tell that I'm a little bit uncertain in this, in this space. And that's why I really, I'd rather admit that, um, I have questions that I need people to, to help me think through Um, And have people come do that, then pretend that I have all the answers because I don't have all the answers. But I, I, again, underscore that I have real concerns about people's privacy and liberty and those types of of fundamental principles, I think, get implicated here. So I hope we can we can work through this together.
0: It's a great answer. Um, We always like to end on something a little bit more personal and uh, less technical and wonky. So here's something you will have the answer to. Do you remember, uh, Commissioner Peirce, your first kind of moment of crypto discovery? I mean, when did you become interested in this space? When did you first hear about it, read about it? I know you went over to the SEC in 2018, but um, stuff has been around since 2009. What what uh, what prompted the crypto bug for you?
1: Well, I first heard about it, I think it was probably in 2012, 2013, and, and thought it was interesting. Um that people were experimenting with this area. So some of the people I worked with before um, gave me my first introduction to to understanding and thinking. Well, I can't say understanding. I'm still trying to understand, but to to learning about crypto, um, Bitcoin specifically was was obviously what I learned about first. Um, But, you know, when I came to the SEC, I, I really wasn't thinking about, crypto specifically but more generally about the SEC's approach to innovation to new products to new services and that is something that you know my interest in that is is much broader than just crypto it's wanting to keep the doors open to innovation wanting to make sure that the financial the financial industry is not one that's dominated by a few large firms that Um, keeps everyone else out, because there are a lot of people with great ideas. And, um, and I I think it's great that people are challenging the way we've done things. Sometimes those challenges are going to fall flat. And sometimes they're going to succeed. But we just need to make sure that it's not, it's not regulation that's picking winners and losers. It's people who are picking winners and losers.
0: Awesome. Well, it's been a great conversation. And uh, there's much more to talk about. We really thank you for coming on. We'll have to grill you again soon, Commissioner Peirce. Thank you. Well,
1: thanks to both of you. It's been a fun conversation.
0: GM is a Decrypt Podcast, co-hosted by me, Dan Roberts, Stacy Elliott, Stephen Graves, Kate Irwin, and Andrew Hayward, and produced by Zach Edelman. Make sure you check our website, Decrypt.co, whenever a new episode comes out, or the video version, and subscribe to GM wherever you podcast.
1: GM.